Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Squad and welcome to Ranks FC, it's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week and back at full compliment. And firstly, uh, my name is Jack Collins. Hey. I'm back, hey. and I just want to say well done to you two, it's Sam Sides, Dean Jones. It was a really, really brilliant episode last week. I really enjoyed it. I was lying on the beach in Rhodes, having a brilliant time, um, and then I got to listen to this absolute stunner of an episode. I've been a little bit taken aback by the amount of people being like, "Can you just keep it as you two? Um, mm. But you know, we we. <laughs> they're off with the smooth um, yeah. it was really brilliant well done very, very well we are work. actually launching our own podcast the, the Dean and Sam <laughs> show it will be coming, <laughs> coming next week <laughs> oh dear oh. The greatest oh Sam and Dean combination, Supernatural, reached its eighth season on television. Yeah, so, exactly. uh, yeah, very. But did pleased. you have a good time, Jack? That's that's what we needed you to do. We needed you to go and rest because you now obviously don't get a break for another three years. Yeah, I, I, I'm rested. I had, I had eight <laughs> days of doing absolutely nothing, um, and I'm raring to go. By the end, you could see I was starting to write threads on Twitter about players that you know people yeah, were interested in signing. Um, I, what I want to know is obviously you were all inclusive, and I did ask you to do a TikTok because I've seen the trend of people like what my boyfriend drinks in an all inclusive. What, what what was your uh, capacity day? Uh, it was, you know what, it wasn't too heavy. We actually, I, I genuinely had a rest. I think this is the key element of, of life. I genuinely had a rest. I didn't, you didn't you know, hit the free bar Well, the free bar stopped at 11 p.m. See, which was, which yeah, but was it opens probably, at 11 a.m. That's 12 hours of drinking. But it, it was probably, <laughs> it was probably for the best, right? Because at 11, 11 p.m., you know, the bar itself was open for two hours, but you had to pay for stuff after that. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'll pay oh, for no. the all inclusive. So actually, it stopped you going absolutely mad, um, which is probably for the best. Um, nice. But yeah, I feel rested, recovered, and raring to go on, on this summer. So yeah, well, that's my turn next, isn't it? So this yeah, is you our last show all together. I get, I go away next. So Sam went, you go, and then I'm going. So um, nice to see each other occasionally. Yeah, we do just occasionally get all three of us back at capacity, but it's rare. Um, right, shall we start with things we love? And Dean, I'm sure you're beset with stories about things that you're loving at the moment in the transfer world. Yeah, I mean, like totally um, emerged in the transfer world at the moment, like immersed in all oh, the rumours and the deals that are done and everything else. But this is the thing that I love right now. Erling Haaland obviously is, is signed for Man City officially, but the thing I love about it is during his Man City medical, he discovered he's still growing. Erling Haaland is still growing. I watched his arrival video on the Man City website, which by the way, I highly recommend. It's really interesting to see what goes on in the build up to actually like being announced as a player officially. Um, what it actually shows is that life as a player is a bit boring in a way because you're just being carted around doing what you're told hanging around it looks like with a lot of people you don't really want to chat to a lot but also it shows like how important you are made to feel like you are just like this celeb basically who is just like going to be shown what you're doing next and you're just protected at all cost but yeah look he arrives he goes to Barcelona first has that part of his medical then he jumps back on a private jet goes into Manchester taken into this health facility to get basically get his vital stats. So they're doing these tests on him and he's standing there in his underwear and, and the doc's measuring him to see how tall he is. Um, no one really thinks much of it. They, they, he stands up against the thing. They, they put the thing bar down on his head and 
Holland like goes to walk off back to the the bed, things so they can lay down and do the next part of the test. And uh, Holland goes, um, "How tall am I?" And and the doctor goes, "Hundred and ninety five point two centimeters." He goes, "Oh my god, I've grown almost <laughs> one centimeter!" And like, and he lays down. He's like laughing. He's like, "I'm still growing." <laughs> so Erling Holland discovered in his Man City medical that he's now almost six foot five. And that's scary. That's really scary that Erling Haaland's still growing. He's 21. I mean, it, you know, some people do keep growing. I mean, I want men to stop at 21. You're supposed to stop now, but he's still 21. So he's got yeah. a little bit of time left. Maybe this is it. But like, it was just so funny. The fact he was like, oh my God. He was like, genuinely like, I can't believe this. I'm still yeah. going. I yeah, um, didn't, didn't yeah, think man. humans could get even bigger than Erling Haaland, but apparently they can continue to it's grow. It's so funny when you watch this video and you see him like, when he gets out of the private jet or like out of the car that's driving him around, like he's like so big that he's like got, it takes him like a real few strides. It's like, un- like, he has to unfold himself. He, really, he literally does. He does. It's like he has to bring his limbs all back to life because they've all been like <laughs> scru- screwed up. It's so funny. I think the the best thing for me was the announcement video, which was just absolutely exceptional. I don't know if you've seen this, but he has a picture of Erling Haaland as he must be a seven, eight year old um, in the Thompson Cook Man City shirt, a real old school vibe. Um, and in the announcement video, they hold the picture up to the, the camera and they take it away and he's behind it in the new shirt. And I just thought it was done perfectly there was no it, it, it wasn't over high obviously the transfer has been done if you will for a while right we, we knew this when they announced that he was going to sign so it was a matter of kind of when not if but for them to do it in that kind of nice understated way throwing back to his roots throwing back to the fact that you know he was obviously someone supported City growing up I think Leeds as well let's not pretend it was just City but his dad played for both um, I think he was playing for Leeds when uh, and Erling Haaland was born, but the transfer to Man City had already been agreed. So it, it does feel like a real moment, you know, a City fan coming back and he seems to be absolutely loving it. And I just thought the announcement video was brilliant. Yeah. Um, but by the take- way, he's still in great form. He played at the weekend. Norway had a big game um, against Sweden and Haaland, they won 3-2 and Haaland scored two and made the other with an unbelievable assist too. Like this guy is having the time of his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is it. He's he's just enjoying himself, and that's and that's great. It's nice to see a player enjoying themselves at this point. Um, we're going to talk more about Holland later, though. So I'm going to move us on, and I'm going to take us away from transfers to talk about my thing I love. And I don't know how many people watched on Monday night the playoff between Peru and Australia. Now, Sam, I know you were supporting Peru. Uh, I know you were pretty gutted uh, about the fact that they won't be at the World Cup. Yeah, that's um, pretty much fun, man. They are loads of fun, but there was a moment in this game and, I, you know, I didn't have a horse in this race. I, I didn't hugely mind who won. Um, I thought the Peruvian fans were absolutely exceptional. But then Andrew Redmayne came into the picture, right? So on the 120th minute, uh, Graham Arnold, the Australian manager, subbed off his captain and goalkeeper, Matty Ryan, who's somebody we know from his time in the Premier League with, with Brighton and Arsenal. Um, and they brought on Andrew Redmayne, who plays for Sydney. And Andrew Redmayne is a bald man. I think he's in his late 30s um, with a big, red, fiery beard. Um, and he was brought on as the penalty specialist. Now, I believe that he has won leagues for Sydney with his penalty heroics before. So that makes perfect sense. Um, what I wasn't expecting was Andrew Redmayne to then become, you know, one of the, you know, those kind of floaty things that people put up outside fan parks at World Cups with the big arms and legs. Inflatable tube like, man. 
yeah, inflatable tube man. That's mm. basically what Andrew Redmayne was on the line. He he danced from one post to the other to the point of like ridiculousness, to the point where if this had gone wrong, we'd be talking about him in Melon of the Week, not things we love. <laughs> but it didn't go wrong. It went right. Um, and he managed to put off uh, Lewis Edvincula, who to hit the post with his penalty, um, and then saved the fifth penalty in the only game in the only penalty where he managed to set himself before the penalty was taken. It was absolutely <laughs> chaotic, unbelievable. Um, I, didn't, I haven't seen anything really like it. It was like you know the Jersey Dudek thing times yeah. it by about fifteen. It was nuts. Like he was yeah. absolutely dancing from post to post, waving his arms everywhere, kicking his legs in the air. Um, but I have read also today that he didn't just um, didn't just do these things. Um, he actually apparently also saw the fact that the Peru goalkeeper had written penalty instructions on his water bottle. So as soon as he saw that, he took the water bottle and lobbed it into the crowd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you get like a yellow card or something for that. That's rude. I mean, I mean. It was a bit rude, but it. <laughs> It's also just like it's pure shit houseery in the finest form, and yeah. and you know you have you got to rate it. You got to rate it. It just was absolutely incredible, and he's gone and become a national hero from a man who'd only played two games, I believe, for Australia before this. Right at the end of his career, he has gone and become a national icon, and I love watching things he's happen make some in that regard. Money, he's going to make it. some real big p, uh, and I, and you know what? I got to respect it. I respect <laughs> it. It was something quite spectacular. So shouts out Andrew Redmayne. Things I love this week, but I am sad for the Peru fans who were mm. phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to add on to the end here, that was his third cap. Um, he is thirty three, so late thirties might be a bit bit harsh on him. Um, but I've just looked him up on Wikipedia just to check those uh, those stats yeah. while you were talking. And uh, according to Wikipedia, he's also Peru's dad. So add that to the list of achievements as well. Wow. Very good for him. Yeah, wow, what a, what an achievement! What an yeah. achievement! Uh, right, Sam, uh, I, I did get a tweet actually from Yusuf who said uh, it was a dramatic performance that Eddie Redmayne would have been proud of. Never mind Andrew Redmayne, which I enjoyed quite a lot. So shout out Yusuf. Um, right, Sam, what's your thing you love? The thing I love this week is Andrea Pirlo taking his next managerial job. Have you seen where he's landed? Yes. I have. Turkish club Fatih Karagumruk. So Talk random. about landing loads of money. I mean, so left field. <laughs> uh, he spent a year out of work post-Juventus and he returns to a one-year contract with Fatih Karagumruk in the Turkish Super League. I just, I mean, his stock must be so low um but what i am loving is the fact that he's actually going out and trying to do something about it you see a lot of managers particularly managers who had illustrious playing careers step into the managerial game it not really go that well for them and they just kind of fade out really quickly or just kind of give up or or unwilling to drop down a little bit further to manage further down and andre pirlo is attempting to do something about the fact that his stock isn't particularly high and I do also think that this move may be more specifically picked than we we give it credit for on surface value because Fatih Karagumruk, despite playing in Turkey, have an abnormally large Italian feel and contingent mm-hmm. in their squad. Their goalkeeper is Emiliano Viviano. Can we talk play- about that? Because do you know what squad number he wears? No. He wears two. 
because he's uh-huh. not their number one. <laughs> I mean, I think he, he is. The, the two, I think he is he wears the number the two one shirt. nowadays. But... I'm pretty sure Kieran Westwood did this at Sheffield United, for, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, sorry, for a little while as well. Really uncomfortable. Didn't like it at all. Yeah, don't like that. Viviano's in goal. Lucas Bilia, formerly of uh, Lazio and AC Milan holding midfield. Fabio Barini scampering around up front. And last year they had Davide Biraski as well on loan from Genoa, who I think they were And Emre Moore, with. I think. Isn't Ahmed Musa yeah. there as well? I think this is actually quite a fun squad. It's, it's ridiculous. I think there's like, a, I can't remember if it's this, it's like there's a Mame Biran Duf hanging around somewhere as well. Like it's, it's like, there's it's a Dean, t- one for Dean. There's a Karim Fry. Yeah. That's a name you haven't heard in a long, long time. time There's a Karim yeah. Fry kicking around. What I mean, the, Turkish, the <laughs> Turkish league is absolute carnage for squad lists. You could entertain yourself all day. Is literally that tweet. Dudes can just sit around all day naming random players in Turkish squads and have the best time. But to finish off about this club, Fatih Karagumruk, in 2012, they were playing in the amateur regional leagues of Turkey. And in the space of 10 years, they've achieved four promotions, skipped up to the Super League. And last year, they finished eighth. Now, Turkish football is kind of, it's in a tough spot. The big guns like Galatasaray are facing mountainous debts that they can't repay and they finished 13th last season. They're in a, they're in a terrible time. So some little clever clogs, some upshots, you know, some some aspirational sides like Fatih Karagumruk can sort of step into that breach and, and have a really nice time for a couple of years and maybe give themselves a little go at something approaching European football if they can scrabble it together. And hey, maybe Andrea Pirlo is the next piece in line with that but uh, I thought this was a really interesting deal and I just I, I've I've basically spent the last two years like just criticising Pirlo because I, I thought he was terrible for Juventus but I, I rate the fact that he's gone he's gone to to a, a basically a mid-table Turkish club and go no no I am a good manager I'm going to prove it and I, I will I will drop down the level to to prove that to people yeah, Why one really year though? I don't know I don't understand the one year thing like... well maybe he it turns out he is good and he doesn't want to be locked in for too long mm. or maybe he doesn't like it and he wants to come home which yeah, is it doesn't enough. sound like he's committed to the cause to me, but okay. Yeah, but I mean, look, if they're, if they're, if they're doing well at Christmas, maybe he'll sign an extension. Uh, but we'll yeah. see. We'll see how we go. I'm um, older, I'm oh, sceptical. I'm yeah, sceptical. Yeah, you are. You only, you only tie yourself down to long-term deals these days. <laughs> um, right, just before we move on to our main rankings, I just want to give a shout out to one of our listeners and one of our patrons, Cody, who is getting married um, at the weekend. Hey. Now, I wouldn't do this, you know, normally, but Cody actually invited us to our, to his wedding. Um, we can't go because it's halfway across the world. If we could, um, we in, would. We, but we would be there in Houston, Texas, if we were available. Uh, well, if we were able to get over there, if we were, if we were know, rich, capable basically. of making it. Um, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to give a massive shout out to Cody um, for his lovely invite, a wonderful letter, um, and wish you all the best of luck, Cody, with your marriage to Shelby this weekend. So, yeah, good luck, uh, man. Congratulations and, and, and the best of luck. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it was, we were really touched by that invite. So thank you so much. Um, and with that, we're going to take a quick break. And afterwards, it's time for our main ranking. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. And we are going to be talking some more transfers today. So, Sam, what's the basis? Okay, so... There's been quite a lot of big money deals already sealed. The transfer window has only technically been open like a handful of days, but clubs have been pretty busy already. Um, So we're going to take a look at some of these deals because we actually haven't talked about them that much recently. Uh, I'm going to take the five most expensive transfers that have already 
been sealed or are right on the cusp of being sealed. We're recording on Tuesday. Well, I wait to see what Liverpool do and how swiftly they act on their new Uruguayan signing, but we'll include him as well. He's and taking gonna... pictures outside Anfield in a, in a Liverpool shirt currently, like as in with just random people in the street. So I'm just <laughs> going to just go for it that this is pretty much done. <laughs> okay, in that case, yeah, he's definitely in. And we'll talk about the five most expensive deals and we're going to grade them. We're going to look at some early grades. We're going to we're gonna decide how we feel about this business and I'll certainly be providing a grade. And I will also courteously invite Jack and Dean to offer up their grades as well, if they so wish. But they, uh, there's no, no pressure, no pressure. Um, we'll start at number five, and we basically had to make a choice between Diego Carlos to Aston Villa or Brendan Aronson to Leeds United because the fees are very similar. We've spoken a fair bit about Diego Carlos on our Patreon, and we've done a TikTok video on it. So please join us over there if you want some Carlos content. We will talk about Brendan Aronson here. RB Salzburg to Leeds United. And this one feels like a pretty pivotal signing for Jesse Marsh in particular. Because if he wants to run his 4-2-2-2 formation, he needs players like Brendan Aronson. Players who are fully comfortable receiving the ball in the centre of the pitch and operating in that central column of the pitch. Because all of the Leeds midfielders and attacking players that he inherited were bought for Bielsa, who plays with extreme width. So you've got Rafinha, You've got Dan James, you've got Jack Harrison, who all either start wide and stay wide, or in Rafinha's case, start wide and receive on the touchline and then skip across the pitch and cut inside and invite tackles and beat people and then use his passing ability as well. So Jesse Marsh tried to run a 4-2-2-2 with basically no players that could play in that that attacking midfield band. So he's going out and he's addressing that right now. And Leeds have got a lot of problems to figure out this summer, but this is one of the most important ones. So I guess the good thing is that Aronson has clearly already thrived under Jesse Marsh. Like he knows him really well. He played for him at Salzburg. Um, He's a seriously industrious presser of the football. He makes really good late arriving runs into the box, which is always a good trait for a number 10. And when he's counterattacking into space, when the game's in transition and when he's carrying the ball, he's a massive threat. So Aronson loves it when a game breaks down and becomes stretched. But there are some negatives here. Uh, I don't think he's particularly... No, I don't think he's hugely creative. He is a press, run, shoot, number 10. He is a Red Bull midfielder. And that's fine if the trade-off for creativity is that you score lots of goals and you make good decisions in the final third and you lead the press. He leads the press. I'm not so sure about the decision-making. And he doesn't score enough goals considering... He doesn't create that much either. I mean, he's never come close to double figures. And that's playing for a dominant, a truly dominant team in a weaker league. He got five and four and five for RB South, for, for Red Bull Salzburg in, in the Austrian Bundesliga. And you take a look at his shot. I mean, he got four goals last season. One was a penalty of 52 shots. I looked at his shot map thanks to the 23 toolbox at least 20 shots from 23 yards or further out. I went and looked at the video. Yeah, they've all been blocked. He's not sussing out good shooting opportunities and in being quite shot happy and trigger happy. He's also missing like really good passes down the side to someone like Rasmus Christensen. So I'm a bit conflicted on this one, guys, because I think he's going to be really important in terms of tactical understanding for Jesse Marsh. And he does fit the system. But the trade-off between creativity and goals, it's not enough on the latter side 
to really justify the fact that he doesn't create that much. And of course, when you sign a player for a manager and then you move on from the manager later on, where does that leave you? So mm. I'm kicking us off on a bit of a bum note, I'm afraid, because I have concerns about Brendan Aronson to Leeds for £25 million. Yeah. And it's not only that, it's, it's like who's going to be around him next season too. Rafinha, almost certain to be gone. Um, he's open to literally everything at the moment, to be honest with you, from what I'm hearing. Um, they haven't got that striker yet. Like Bamford, well, he won't be well, he won't be fit by the start of the season. Who knows? With, with Patrick Bamford, should be fit, but you never know. They still need to sign another striker. Calvin Phillips, probably going to be gone. Sounds like they're signing Mark Rocker, is it? Is that how you pronounce yeah. his name? From, yeah, from I Bayern. quite like that one. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I like that. I also have concerns over Mark Rocker, but uh, I think he gives Leeds a lot of what they need again. Uh, but I'm, I'd be worried that he's a bit lightweight for the Premier League, to be honest with you. This is it, uh, isn't it? It's this evolution that Jesse Marsh has to undergo. Like, There's no doubt he has to transform this team from what they were under Bielsa and how far they came because they were falling short of where they needed to be in the next phase of building. But there are so many pieces that need to be added as well as Aronson. Like, mm -hmm. I think he was obviously important to Marsh and he made that clear like when he came in that he still wanted him to come in and they, he was on Leeds' radar anyway. But there he are was, yeah. four or five other players that need to come into that team as significant impact players on the side. I would add one thing, Sam, in that yeah. I think Brendan Aronson is kind of the long-term replacement for uh, Mateus Click, right? That That's why he strikes me as the player that will fit into Click's role in this system. Now, what, Mateus deeper? Click has... No, but I just think he, you know, what Click offered in that midfield, especially two leads, I, I think that's where he will... I, I think that's kind of what his... That's where the player switch is coming. That That's where I think it's going to happen. Click's played further up as well for Marsh. Um, mm. And I think, you know, you look at what Click's record is in a dominant Leeds team in the championship. Yes, he got 10, but he got 10 goals in 50 games in all competitions. He got seven in 47 the year after. They're the two in the championship. In the Premier League, he's got four in 36 and one in 37. You know, these goal records aren't great either. And I think that's the role that Aronson has been brought in to play you know a, a player who is who leads that press as you say who who is able to bring that physicality and, and that kind of drive in midfield that leads feel like they've been lacking to be perfectly honest you with you um and I wonder if that's why that isn't so much of a problem um because you know click scored 22 goals and 179 appearances for Leeds um it's not like he's you know, nailed this. It's just one of those things where you're looking at it and thinking, okay, um, you know, the, it's all a bit different. I, I just have a funny feeling that's where he fits in to this side. But he's going to play as one of the two tens and he's basically going to play as a support striker and he's going to be making runs into the box. He's going to be taking lots of shots. He works at click. He works at, he, no, this is, this, no, uh, Click has more, way more often than not operated from deeper than a number 10 spot as a second forward, way more often. And this is what they're, they're bringing in Aronson to basically provide that. And I, he, he hasn't done it to a, a prolific level in like the eighth best league in Europe in, a, in an overwhelmingly dominant side in which he gets given 52 opportunities to do it. So <clears throat> uh, it's like, not only is it like a massive step up to come and just play in the Premier like a huge step up in level to play in the Premier League. But he also then has to up his own production levels in line with the fact that he has to get up to speed with a much, much better level of opposition. It's a lot to ask. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I, li I, li I like facets of this deal, but like, it's a lot to ask of Brendan Aronson.
Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with all that. I think it is a step up. I just, I just, I think that, you know, obviously you say, you say it's a 4 There are three other players there who are going to be asked to to do different things and, and create things. I think one of these number 10s will drop deeper um, and, and, and pick up and drive from deeper. And I think that will be Aronson, but we'll see, we'll see. We'll have to see. I mean, look, I'm going to give it a C plus as a grade. Like, Obviously, he's 21 and he can continue to improve. And he has a coach that massively trusts him, which is a great starting point. Um, but there's like there's quite a lot of peril in this deal, I think. But, and if it was like 10 million, I'd be like, oh, whatever, just give it a go. But it's 20, 25 million. Yeah, it's like, a lot. It's, it's a lot of money. It's, it's, it's a big It's a, big it's a fair whack. I'll give it a C plus. Um, but we can move into, into nicer waters at number four here. Karim Adeyemi to Borussia Dortmund. Another RB Salzburg sale. This one's about 30 million euros with 3 million in bonuses. Um, announced a few hours after Erling Haaland was initially announced for City. Uh, Dortmund didn't too, do too badly out of the last Salzburg striker they signed. So, uh, <laughs> hey, why not go and fish in the same pond? But to be clear, everybody, Adiemi and Haaland are, are so, so different. I mean, they're both prolific forwards, but that's about as far as the comparison goes. Adiemi is a wide forward. He's played up front this season a lot in a, in, a, in a striking two. He's constantly peeling out to the touchline, receiving the ball, and then working his way back inside. He doesn't go in to out. He goes out to in. He's not a focal point, and he will not spearhead your formation. So Dortmund are probably still going to be looking at other solutions there up front. I don't know if it's a new signing. I don't know if it's Daniel Marlin. Like, I don't know what it's going to be, but I expect Adiemi to be playing from a wide position because that's what makes sense. Um from the wide position, he will run over the top constantly. And this is an incredible weapon. And I can't wait for you all to see it much more regularly because he is absurdly fast. Like it's ridiculous. He's like Mbappe level quickness. He's Fonzie Davies fast. He is so quick and he has this immense balance, which means he can run 30, 40, 50 yards at what must be like 25 miles an hour at certain points. And he keeps his balance and he can stop on a sixpence and change direction. And he's in perfect control of his legs and the ball. And he sends defenders flying. It's, it's, it's so much fun, guys. It's so much fun. It, it really is great to watch. And the quick feet, the change of direction, he's comfortable finishing off both feet. His conversion rate is good. He overperformed his XG to a pretty healthy degree last season, which means he's clearly a good finisher. He's beating the model, but not by an unsustainable amount. And we can revisit that concept a little bit later. He also sneaky creative, you know, fifth highest expected assists tally in the Austrian Bundesliga last season. So not just a road runner and not just a goal, uh, a goal hoover. He's also quite creative as well in terms of the quality of the chances that he, he makes. And again, same argument as Aronson. He is 20. He is going to get better and better. And he's going from Austrian Bundesliga to German Bundesliga, where the style of play is pretty similar. This is a lovely step and this is a lovely player. I'd give it an A-. minus. Hmm. No, it's Ooh, it's, it's wow. a nice one. I, I like it a lot as well. It's, it's one of those though that you do wonder what Marco Rosa is thinking. Is that hang on? I really yeah. wanted to play Gadamer <laughs> to play with. I wanted to let let that go, but alas, yeah. it, it kind of is what it is. But you know, Edin Terzic has got a big job on his hands now to work out what this Dortmund side looks like um, and how you know they build on what was probably an ultimately disappointing season last year, I think. You know, not necessarily in terms of their league form, but I definitely think in, in the rest of the competitions they were in, they would have looked at those as massive opportunities missed. Um, and and so it's going to be really intriguing to see how Adiemi fits into this new look Dortmund and what Terzic does 
know, system wise and formation wise in order to kind of get all these pieces into the right places so that so that they all work. And yeah, that's the only kind of concern I have. I, I kind of agree with you that I think Adiemi probably should play from a wide spot um, to begin with in order to try and get the best out of him and try and get him running at people, which is what he's best at. Um, but I do wonder how they're going to look and how they're going to line up on that first day of the Bundesliga season. Yeah, I, I don't know, but um, at least at the very least for Dortmund, you know, they might have these question marks up front, but um, they've signed a new central defensive pairing, which will just give them so many more lives, I guess is probably the way I would put it. <laughs> you know, um, last season with the amount of mistakes creeping into their play, especially at the back last couple of seasons, really, but last season they were hit really hard by it. Um, it, it, it just makes it just if you if you are that leaky and that mistake prone at the other end, it means that you have to be perfect in front of goal, and no team can be perfect in front of goal every single week. And your off days become seriously punished. But if you go ahead and sign Nico Schlotterbeck and Niklas Sula as a new pairing, you stand a much better chance of of keeping the, the sheet clean and allowing your forwards to kind of figure it out just once, and that can be enough for three points. So Dortmund have at least got that base to build from. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, in terms of fees, what are we talking here? Is this uh, is it a it was, sensible fee? I think it's okay. 30, 30 million euros and, and three in bonuses. It feels like it feels like a lot. Do you I think? know that Adiemi's excellent, and yeah. I'm not saying that it will look like a lot in a little while. But we're still there's still an element of of how raw he is, and you know, and how that develops and how that moves. Now, I, I think it will probably be okay, um, but it's quite a big fee. Um, considering you confirm it when you compare big... it to other moves from Salzburg to <clears throat> Dortmund. Yes, maybe. I think it's probably representative of the level of talent we're talking about here, though. Like this kid's awesome; he's going to be amazing. So I think that I think the the that 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 kind of determines that. And we can't really compare it to any of Erling Haaland's moves because they're all release clauses, aren't they? Mm. Yes, um, they are. They are. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, A minus for Karim Adeyemi, and we will move on. To Erling Haaland, who has apparently cost, uh, Dean, you may correct me on this, £51 million. Um, mm-hmm. But, and City fans hate the fact that people keep doing this, but I, we, we literally have to. And I know that agency fees and representation fees are part of every transfer deal, but the sheer size of these agency fees that we're talking for Erling Haaland moves the needle on exactly how much this, this transfer costs. I've seen reports, Dean, of like £40 million at times added on top of the 51 which w- even still is a bargain <laughs> yeah who cares so i mean it look who cares but this this player did not cost 51 million pounds not close to it he cost way closer to 100 million pounds i'd say that makes him not a bargain by the way jack i still think it's a good deal but it's i think it okay, moves it's him bar- out. you're not he's not a bargain but i i do think it's unfair to do this with with some deals and not with others now i agree yeah. with you that this is more than more than anyone else is probably paying in agent fees because of the nature of it right yeah. i completely agree but I mean, how much are the agency fees on on, on these other transfers that we discussed? I, I bet you they're they're not insignificant numbers. No, but um, I don't think and, they're and, doubling the cost of the transfer, which already costs no, fifty one million. I think no, these are genuinely either, extenuating but, circumstances, and it like it has to be mentioned. It has to be mentioned a hundred percent. But I think if if we start to throw these things around, I've seen people trying to put. So you know, I, I completely understand why City fans get upset about this, I, and I agree with you that I think in this in this circumstance, it needs to be discussed because it exists within this realm, and I completely get that. But my my kind of take would be that 
I've seen people trying to put his wages into the transfer fee. Well, that was like, weird, I've seen, that I've was seen people trying to inflate this transfer to ludicrous numbers because they're like, no, it can't be that. It can't be like, it, because they're physically unable to like process the fact that a release clause can be a release clause. Um, and, and so when people are trying to bump every transfer up, I can completely understand why City fans get annoyed by it because no one puts wages into any other transfer. Um, it's like a free transfer, right? No free transfer is a free transfer because you have to pay a massive signing on bonus because the player basically gets pockets. This is the the denouement, if you will, the great denouement of the Bosman ruling. This is where we've got to in that players will now wind down their contracts and say, why would they pay a club for me when they could just play me directly? Um, and I completely understand that. that. That's player power at its kind of highest peak. And it only exists for the very top echelon of players, sure. But, you know, that that's where we're at. I just don't see anyone else throwing any of these things into other deals and therefore I think it's a little bit unfair to try and whack in loads of stuff on Erling Haaland's just because it was a release clause fee. Yeah there's actually um, Sam Lee who covers Man City for uh, The Athletic he's, he's really good at it too. Um, he did a really good breakdown when, when Haaland, Haaland uh, joined City and as part of it he, he outlined you know how much it cost and why they did it basically and basically going back to Christmas he said that Real Madrid were in pole position to sign Hall and, and Man City were like, we cannot let this happen. They had this like super big meeting about like, what is it actually going to cost us to get this guy? And once they'd put in release clause and commissions and wages and bonuses, every single penny they put into it and they were like, okay, this costs 190 million pounds. This is, this is how much it's costing to get this player. And then... From there, they've they've just put everything into it and gone for it. And he points and out on a five year like, contract, you amortize that to what forty million a year. Well, he says like even with the release clause to Dortmund, that doesn't get paid in full straight away, um, and they will spread this cost out over the length of his contract. So like it's you know it doesn't really matter to them. Like they they know what they've got to put out there to get this player. They know what the player is going to bring to them. And he actually says in in the deal. For City, this deal actually came out cheaper than they expected. So, like, it's not really one for us to be worried about. If Man City feel like this is a decent deal, then fair play. No, I, I agree. But um, what Jack sort of brings up is a completely separate point for me. Obviously, putting wages into a total transfer cost is bizarre behaviour and no one should do it. Um, but if your agency fees almost double the transfer cost in total. I think the agent's fees, C fees were closer to £30 million. Pound. Right. So, I mean, but like, it's fine, but people keep going, oh my God, what a bargain, 51000000 million. It's like, all right, it's at least 80. Um, and in these circumstances, I think this is a, a specific circumstance where the fees were so high, you, will, you actually have to talk about it. And maybe the two issues have become conflated and City fans start to get annoyed about bringing up the agency fees because one news channel decided to put the wage cost into it all as well and make it completely ridiculous but um it, hey ho yeah. anyway if he hadn't had a release clause right yeah he would and have he cost. had two years left on his contract what do you reckon he'd have cost <laughs> yeah 80 90 million <laughs> something, something <laughs> so like, it comes but, out in the watch but, like well but he still would you still would pay the representative the agency fees on top of that i guess but yeah, anywho <laughs> Let's talk about him as a player. Uh, Dean, you're infatuated with this player. You've even done a TikTok to say that he needs to be your captain in fantasy football. Uh, goal machine, you. obviously. Physical specimen. Fast, strong, hammer of a left foot. Good in the air. He's got this air about him that everyone, they just fear him. 
and that changes the the feel of a team. Um, I mean, it's been obvious for quite a few years that he's a special player. He's going to be a really special striker. He once scored nine goals in the same game uh, in an under-20 World Cup game for Norway. Um, then he got a goal a game at RB Salzburg. Then he got a goal a game at Borussia Dortmund. And he switched through the gears and switched through his clubs really, really quickly. Um, it's amazing, actually, that this player is attracting so many question marks. There are a lot of people who are asking whether or not Erling Haaland can genuinely succeed in the Premier League and, and succeed for Manchester City. Uh, I guess part of that is Bundesliga tax. Uh, part of that is style of play and how he meshes or doesn't with Pep Guardiola and whether or not his injury record is a massive concern. Uh, Dean, I'd like to throw to you to take care of these complaints. <laughs> yeah, look, um, he has missed a lot of games and you know, you could argue that like the type of injuries they were could, could be a concern for someone that's 21, but um, ultimately Man City are not concerned about it. Um, in conversations between Holland and Man City, they obviously tried to figure out like how this is, is all going to work. And ultimately, I think that the point you have to raise is, well, Man City went all out to get Harry Kane a year ago and he's a very, very different centre forward to Erling Haaland. Um, Ultimately, with Haaland, you are not getting the same link-up play. You're not getting the same play outside of the box. But what you are getting is absolute ruthlessness inside the box. And this type of movement and awareness that he's got, he's almost unmatched in world football. So that basic trait is something that Pep Guardiola can take in its raw being, if you like, and be like, okay, for the first season, this is fine because I will make sure that our guys, you, you'll fit, you have to fit into his, the Man City system first and foremost. Like City aren't going to suddenly transform just f- to suit Haaland. Like he's going to have to go into that central role and adapt to the way that Man City play. But ultimately what that means is finishing off cutbacks, making sure that he has a good understanding with Grealish or Sterling or whoever it ends up being in those positions around him, Foden, ultimately score goals. <laughs> on the back of that, they're going to change the way that he plays. Now, in that first season, it's imp- I've talked about the fact that, you know, I do expect Haaland to score a lot of goals. A lot of that is to do with the fact he's on penalties. I don't think we're looking at a player here that in his first season, the Premier League is going to score like 35 goals. I don't think we're going to get that because I do think there's going to be an adaptability issue here for Haaland and that it, there are times when I think he might even go through mini goal droughts, certainly by his standards. But it's all about growing with this team. And we've seen before, Pep Guardiola is perfectly happy to allow people a year to do that. I'm told that still applies to Erling Haaland. Just because we are all have this unbelievable expectation from him doesn't mean that Man City are now all about Erling Haaland. He's just part of the next phase that takes them to a different level over the next four years. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is fair, right? This is the I, I'm completely with you in that I think he probably is over 15, under 25 first year. That's yeah, that's I think where if I'm he hits 20 goals next season, I think that that's, that's totally a massive. Fine. That's, that's massive. a massive win. That's a huge win, and and, and uh, one of those that you go, yeah, that's a good start, really good start. I don't think that Erling Haaland's going to be walking in breaking the Premier League goals record in his first season. Um, now, if he does, fair play to him, but I, I just can't see it at this point because. I think that there's an element here where Pep also likes to get players in 
uh, at the rate that he wants to get them in. Um, now, that doesn't mean I don't think he's going to be starting in the first game of next season. Of course he will. Um, but I do think there will be an element where people are like, oh, he's not playing this week. That's that's a bit random. Um, and and I think especially the fact that Julian Alvarez is in there as well and Pep seems to want to ingratiate him into the squad straight away suggests to me that I think there will be a little bit more rotation than people think next season, especially if City are fighting on four fronts again, which they undoubtedly will be. Yeah, yeah well, maybe. a little bit of rotation might be good for Erling Haaland and the injury record. It might allow him to settle down a bit. I mean, yeah. pe- people have been picking away at Jack Grealish's um, spotty first season at Manchester City. And look, he hasn't really made the impact that he possibly should have done. But ultimately, that bloke needed a rest. Villa ran him into the ground for four years. He played every game available, played half of it on shin splints. Honestly, a season in and out of the team has probably probably extended his career by three years. And Erling Haaland might just need to calm down a bit. You know, um, Dortmund have, yeah. have heavily, heavily relied on him over the course of the last season. And he's probably been pushed to the physical limit. This gives him a little bit of breathing space. Yeah. Look, his injuries do, they do go before Marco Rosa. So we can't just pie it off as Marco Rosa can't can't manage a squad fitness-wise. It is a lasting problem, but it's just one of those things. On the attacking fit, it's really important not to assume that good players just figure it out because recent history, Lukaku and Tuchel will tell us that that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the list of skeletons that uh, Diego Simeone has left, very talented attacking players that he's ruined over the years. We can't ignore these lessons. But on the other hand, Sergio Aguero transformed as a footballer over the course of the first year under Pep Guardiola. You know, And even in that first year when he wasn't quite the forward Pep wanted, he still scored tons of goals. So not really concerned here either. Also, City cross it more than people think and uh, he's oh, good yeah. ahead in crosses in. So that's okay. <laughs> also, by the way, Harlan's short game, it's not bad. Like, it's not great, but it's not bad. And his expected yeah. assist numbers and chance creation were also really high. They use them for bounce passes and, and, and touchbacks and layoffs. It's actually like quite clued up in that area of the game. So this really isn't that much of a problem. And I give it a straight A. He's an unbelievable footballer. Sometimes football is really simple and obvious, but football clubs really overthink things. Man City haven't overthought anything here. They've just gone mm-hmm. and bought an amazing striker. Yeah, Definitely. I think that's exactly it. Is that Everything points to this being a success, right? At this point. Now, there are obviously things that don't always work, but I'm not hugely worried about them. Things can always go wrong, but at this point, I feel like this is going to be success and that's all you can judge it on until we've seen actual evidence to the contrary, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, number two is uh, is Darwin Nunez. Um, Benfica has said that this is a 75 million euro deal rising to 100 million if bonuses are met. Benfica... Yeah, but what are the agent fees? Liverpool, <laughs> don't know. Probably could be could be in the could be in the billions, mate. Could be in the billions. More than they were. Add the wa- Brighton and add the wages in, Sam. No. Oh, okay, hang on. Let me just do the quick calculation. Um, look, this is very expensive. Even without all of that, this is a very expensive deal, and this is not Liverpool's mo whatsoever because they only usually pay these prices for a player who is clearly the finished product, one of the best in their position. We're talking about Virgil van Dijk. We're talking about Alisson. The, this Darwin Nunez is not, is not the finished product whatsoever. So they are looking at what I think is probably a very lean young striker market. And it's friend of the pod, Aaron Moniz, who, who tweeted this out and got me thinking, actually, this market 
the Liverpool know that they need to go in and, and buy a forward because they've got question marks over Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane looks like he's leaving. They probably need to go towards the younger side because they're going to need a player who can be a building block for the next couple of years. And with Erling Haaland gone to Manchester City and Dusan Vlavic in January going to Juventus, there actually isn't that much left outside of Darwin, outside of Alexander Isak, who doesn't really fit Klopp at all, and someone like Skamaka, who is even further down the line of developmental stuff than Darwin. So I don't, I'm not saying that Liverpool have sort of cornered themselves here, but they have taken a bit of a leap, which is not quite like them. They don't typically do this. I suppose it helps that Darwin has just scored 30 plus goals, played in the Champions League, played against Liverpool, scored against Liverpool. Virgil van Dijk said he was a nightmare to play against. And like he is a nightmare to play against. Like Darwin's a beast. He is, again, a physical specimen, strong, fast, direct, incredible frame, aggression. A, there's a, actually, there's a bloodthirst to Darwin Nunez's game that I absolutely love. The fact that he can play through the middle or off the left is a huge bonus for Klopp as he mixes the look of his front three. He split about 3,000 minutes right down the middle there, 1,500 on the left, 1,500 in the middle last season, depending on who the manager was at Benfica. He's a vicious ball striker. He's deadly in the box. But there are things for him to work on and concerns. His link-up play isn't good enough and needs to be worked on. And I hope that Jurgen Klopp can get to work on that pretty quickly. This is not necessarily a good measure, but just checking his pass completion and I know that he take, obviously he's passing in the final third, they're higher risk, they're pressured, all that. His pass completion is in, the, is in the first percentile of Europe, as in the worst. And we often talk, whenever I mention percentiles, I usually talk about 99th, 97th, 85th. Darwin's pass completion is as bad as it gets across Europe. And you can see that in his close play, in his link-up play, it's a bit scruffy. I think it's got better this year, but it's not quite up to standard just yet. He also has a slight balance issue. Unlike Karim Adeyemi, Darwin Nunez cannot quite control himself when he's at full speed. And I presume it's due to the fact that he weighs loads more and is much taller. Um, but again, there's something that can be done there. When he starts to kick into final gear, he's kind of a bit liable to fall over or, or slip or something like that. Um, these are small concerns, I guess, because really he's been brought to score goals and he's going to score probably loads of them if last season is anything to go by. But here's the final thing to mention. He outperformed his XG last year to a crazy, crazy degree. And the previous two seasons before that, he underperformed it by about two goals. So what's, what's normal? Is he just taking off? Is this an anomaly? That's what Liverpool have got to figure out. They've obviously gone with, no, no, this is cool. We're good with Darwin. He's exploding. He's breaking out. And we're going to harness that. But the XG data would suggest that maybe what he did last season, even in Portugal, was unsustainable. And then moving up another level to the Premier League, of course, you expect a goal reduction. I'm hotter on this than I think you are. Um, and I think it's a really, really good move. Now, I've spent this week on holiday reading, and one of the books I read um, was Uli Hesse's brilliant Building the Yellow Wall. Um, it's about the kind of you know, development of, of Borussia Dortmund. Over, and there's a good sort of three, four chapters dedicated to Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund team. And one of the, the things that he speaks about in the book is the fact that this team were beating teams around them who were better sides, who were, um, you know, more obviously 
world-class players because they were young, hungry, determined, driven, uh, and, you know, and basically physical monsters in the third, in the in the final third. And that's what they've added in Darwin. Um, they've added a player who, you know, sometimes we talk about on the pod and, you know, we, we've mentioned this about someone like Bernardo Silva before, right? That Bernardo Silva could walk into any team in the world because not only is he technically absolutely unbelievable, um, but, you know, mostly because his work rate, his tenacity is so high that there is not a single manager who wouldn't want to add him to the squad that they have. Now, obviously, Darwin's technicalities are nowhere near that level, as you've just pointed out. But I do think there's an element, especially in the Premier League, where if you are a world-class technician and you don't have the right pieces around you, things cannot go for you. And I think we've seen something like this at Manchester United for a long time, right? Where hmm. it might not go for you, despite you might be absolutely unbelievable because the pieces aren't built around you to make that work. Jack, do you know if who you immediately are, sprung to mind there? Borja Valero at West Brom. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Danny Parejo at QPR. Um, yeah. look, look, things cannot work for you if those things aren't right. But if you are tenacious, you are driven, and you are putting in that work rate every single time, the chances are that even if things aren't falling for you, you will be given the benefit of the doubt a little bit more often than not because you make things happen by pure force of will. And I think Darwin is one of those players who will make things happen through sheer force of will, even if it isn't going for him technically. Now, I think he's going to improve leaps and bounds under Klopp in the way that Klopp had that young Dortmund team and they improved them to levels that no one could have you know, imagined that he brought them to. I think Klopp is going to do something similar with Darwin. But even until that point, I think the fact that he is so tenacious, that he is so driven, that he is such a physical monster in terms of pace, in terms of speed, in terms of power, in terms of drive, that he is able to get into these areas and really make it work. And he will just get get through teams by scaring them to death. And, <laughs> and that, for me, is something that pushes this up a notch because I think the the, seat, the, the floor on it, the ceiling isn't as high, I think, as, as someone else, you know, like Holland. But I think the floor on it is is really quite high as well because just because of the way that he plays and the way that he is. Mm, I nice. think, um, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on, Dean. I was going to say, like, I just wanna, I've got two questions really on this for Sam. Like, so Luis Diaz obviously came from Porto and made unbelievable impact. And it was actually one of the reasons that Liverpool don't have that many concerns about the transition that Nunes is going to make from mm. Primera to, to the Premier League because Diaz has done it so seamlessly with Sim Bruno Fernandes do it before. Luis Diaz cost about 37 million, I think. So you're looking at about double. Let's just say it's double the amount they're paying here. Is that fair? Are they getting good value for money in that Well, sense? I mean, it's a tough question to answer because I think Luis Diaz was the best player in Portugal up until the moment he left Portugal. He was a better okay. player than Darwin Nunez, but strikers cost more money. Mm -hmm. They just do. It's just a mm -hmm. fact. Um, so you have to factor that in. I'd say, I'd say still that this, this transfer fee has ended up more expensive than I imagined it to be. I didn't, like, even if the release clause is set around this area, I didn't actually expect the release clause to be met um, yeah. because there are those question marks. But as Jack basically alludes to, he does have um, a drive and a persistence that will probably make him succeed. And he's the exact kind of player who'll sweat through his shirt and at the end get given a big clop bear hug and a grin and he'll pat him on the head and he'll say, well done, Darwin, you didn't score today, but you you did this and you did that and you were a massive part mm -hmm. of the team. And I think Darwin will will enjoy that. And I think he will I think he will he'll become part of this team 
And any player going to Jurgen Klopp, like I'm willing to say, will get coached up on their negatives and become a better player. So yeah. it's it's just like, it's just a lot of money. Um, so what yeah. you're saying is you're really excited about the evolution of Darwin. Oh mate, I literally, <laughs> I, I specifically avoided that. Um, but we'll yes, do a TikTok I, on that. But, but yes, Here's I am. The, I'm, I'm, giving it, I'm giving it a B because there is, this is risky. This is high stakes because of the, the, the amount of money they've ended up paying. But he's a good player. He's got great yeah, traits that suit the Premier League and he's going to Jurgen Klopp. I would have gone B+. It is. Look, I think, I think they might have overpaid, but then you flip it. His, his wages are 140 grand a week. That's nothing, to be honest. Yeah, like, we don't include them in transfer fees. <laughs> <laughs> Holland's earning 400 grand a week at Man City. Yeah. And Nunez has agreed to 140 grand a week at Liverpool. So that's a good deal. Origi's leave, left. Sadio Mane's leaving. Minamino's leaving, probably. That's three players from the forward line going. So you're bringing in this guy to replace them. Firmino, probably staying now. Uh, Jota, where does he fall down the pecking order? Are we looking at Liverpool's first choice front line while Salah's still there? Is it going to be Salah, Diaz, Nunez? Is, is that Liverpool's go-to yeah. front line from the start? I think so, season? yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. I, I think it has to be. And yeah. I, I, yeah. I said this to Sam. Well, I'm just wondering, like, is that it now? From so Even... No, he'll rotate, he'll like rotate. Man City, whatever it is, July 31st. Is that the lineup everyone now wants to see from game one? We've also yeah. talked about the fact that there, there is the real possibility of Jurgen Klopp looking at changing his formation. And Sam spoke about it before that that Dortmund side played a 4 2 3 1 or, or a variation on Yeah, it, I don't think he'll do it yet, though, will he? Like maybe in a year. Yet. I don't think he's going to do it from. But I, think the start we, of the season. I think we start to see it built in this season. Mm. No, I don't, again, I don't think he starts the first game of the Premier League season by doing that. No chance. I don't think that's the Community Shield lineup. But mm. I do wonder if by Christmas we're seeing the 4-2-3-1 as a relatively common rotation within Jurgen Klopp's plans. Um, yeah. and, and that, I think, changes things a little bit because it means you can start all four of them with Jota in the mix as well. Um, you know, you can start to move players around and, and see how yeah, that works. works. So yeah, that'd be interesting absolutely. too. I agree. Anyway, yeah, it's not um, number one. Who's number one? Well, number one, by virtue of being the most expensive transfer so far, is Aurelien Chouameni, who I believe his 100 million euros is more guaranteed or more upfront than Darwin's. So he is mm-hmm. he is the most expensive one. Um, it's a lot. I said it with Darwin, and I maintain that it's a, it's a lot for Aurelien Chouameni. It's uh, strikers cost a lot of money. Fine. Um, apparently, so do uh, number sixes nowadays. I think people <laughs> have been listening to the Ranks SC podcast. People in power, people that make decisions in football. And they have come to the same conclusion that we have is that, you know, do it all complete midfielders that play as the number six as the linchpin are very, very hard to come by. There are very few of them that can cut it at the top top level. And if you want one, you are going to have to pay. Um, also, what doesn't help Real Madrid in this scenario at all is that they had this Kylian Mbappe pot saved on their Monzo app and they weren't allowed to use it because <laughs> Kylian Mbappe decided to stick around in Paris. And when people know that you've got an Mbappe pot, I'm sorry, but every transfer you make from that point on is going to be a touch more pricey than you had imagined. However, Jack, Dean, can, can you think of a midfielder other than Declan Rice, before you mention him, Dean, that is a safer investment if you were to look for the central midfield solution long term and as that complete number six. Is is there a better is there a better way use of this money than Aurelian Schuermeni? Because I can't no. think of one. No. no, especially for Madrid. Like Declan Rice isn't even a safe 
bet in 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 Spanish right. football. So like that's not even really a, one they'd have considered. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, obviously they in terms of other midfielders, they were looking at like Pogba and stuff, but you're still not getting the same sort of midfielder there. So like for what they needed and for like how this team was going to grow, they know that the, the you know the reason they've paid up is because this guy would have gone to one of their European rivals. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And they couldn't really afford that for that to happen. Not only do they need to stay, keep their noses in front of Barca as they tried to rebuild, but you know, we're talking about the European champions here and they've become European champions at a time that's kind of unexpected. Like they didn't have the best team in Europe by any means. We know that. But imagine when they do have the best team in Europe, what they'll be <laughs> capable of. So like that's that's what their vision has to be. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it is a lot. But then if they didn't pull the trigger on this, he might go to Chelsea and he might go to Chelsea for 60 or 70 rather than 100 because they aren't preying on the Mbappe failure. So that's just kind of yeah. how this business works. So it is a lot of money, but I try not to hold it against them too much in context. Um, anyway, Chouameni, for those that haven't seen him, he intercepts the ball more than anyone in Europe, literally. Um, he tackles more than anyone in Europe most of the time. And his ball progression, if be it passing or dribbling and carrying, is really, really good. He has the physical skill set to play as the lone number six or in a pair or in a 4-4-2 and hold the middle. He has the technical skill to thrive in La Liga. He has the ideal frame and size. I think he's roughly 6'1", 6'2", strong, built well. Guys, is this really just one thing he can't do? And that's shoot from distance. Um, Although you got some you got some heat on this. I no, I got, some, I got some heat by one idiot um, who saw him score two nice goals in a game and go, what do you mean he can't shoot? Look at these two. Hey, he's like, yeah, let's nice. Be nice. Let's no, be nice. No, let's not be nice. That guy was <laughs> stupid. Um, I... I got a shot map up. I looked at all of his shots. I watched them all. I watched a 95% of them sail 15 yards wide of the goal, just all from 25 yards. And I'm sorry, Aurelien, but you don't have to take any advice from me, but maybe don't shoot quite as often from 25 yards. You are not that good at it. Although I appreciate it. It's good fun to try. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's that's it. That's the, the, one, the one fault. And am I holding that against him really as a number six? Not really. I just wish he'd shoot a little bit less. Um... I can't. Look, I can't wait for him score, I can't wait for him to score eight goals outside the box. Yeah, it's going to be. Like well, the thing is, I, I am. <laughs> I could be in trouble power. there because remember this season, early doors. Eduardo Camavinga started pinging him in, didn't he? From yeah. from twenty five yards, there's something in that realm of water. Thing, they probably do it in training all the time, and they probably just fly into the top bag, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to try one, and it goes flying off target. And they're they're yeah. the ones we actually see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. You you are right, Sam. I'm I'm only messing. But um, no. it was one of those where you know it, it's one of those things that can just go against you, can't it? Like, oh, suddenly he scored four goals from thirty yards in his first six games. You're like, mm, yes. damn. Wish I, mean, I hadn't so- said that so loudly. <laughs> yeah, we'll judge him over a season. Let's judge him over a season, not over. Yeah, games if it yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I feel a little bit torn here between a B plus and an A because. It's a lot of money. An A minus. Oh, A minus. Perfect. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is, it is like, I feel like A's should be reserved for like particularly clever deals or like someone who's really pulled someone's pants down. But no, that hasn't really happened here. And it's not like a clever deal. And it is a lot of money. Um, but it's a lot of money for a reason. And I, I guess I just can't really fault it. So yeah, I'll go with A minus. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. It's yeah, the, the the mine is purely coming from the the slight bit of risk attached to it because it's a really young player for loads of money. Yeah. And and you know, famously, and there's been a fair bit of written content around this over the last couple of, you know, weeks is that big money transfers often don't go well. 
Like, yes. if you look at the top 20, there's maybe like three genuine, hardcore, absolute stone dead successes. There's five, six up in the air. And then there's some really big, quite uncomfortable failures. Um, and, and, and so therefore, there's always that element of risk attached to this kind of money on a transfer. Um, but if you're going to do it, buying one of the best young midfielders in the entire world who has all the ability to grow and, and you know, basically set up Real Madrid with Camavinga and Chiomeni and Valverde for a midfield three that could go on and conquer in the way that this one has for them at this time. So there's not much to knock on it, is there, really? It's, it's just one of those. Not really. Yeah. You just can't give it an A plus or an A because it is just like, Every football yeah. transfer is a risk and it, and it is loads of money. I'd give it an A if it was 20 million, obviously. A plus, A plus, 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 but it's not. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a couple it's, of stars on the end of it. Yeah. Um, but ultimately not that. Right. Well, thank you very much, Sam. That was, that was good. good fun, what, that was. What, what were the five? Let's just, just, just recap the five grades quickly. Uh, okay. We started with Brendan Aronson, who I'm clearly very worried about. More worried than I realised. Uh, C plus. Uh, <laughs> Karim Adeyemi to Dortmund. We get a bit brighter. A minus. Erling Haaland gets an A, uh, Darwin gets a B, and Chuamani gets an A minus. Okay, very good, very good. Right after the break, we're going to be having Men of the Week and the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Rags FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, I'm glad to hand this back to you. I enjoyed you teeing yourself up last week, um, but, but I feel like it's, it's nicer with a tee up. Yeah, definitely. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Didier Deschamps. Mm. Oh, France are a bit of a mess, lads. Um, yeah. yeah, we're heading into a World Cup when they've just been dumped out of the Nations League after four bad results this month. And while, of course, you can excuse some of the players on the back of our long season, I'm not sure you can excuse Deschamps for not being able to get together a team that could get some results out of those four matches. He's got an incredible pull to call on, and he didn't do it wisely enough. Um, they should not fail to win these four games. They lost 2-1 to Denmark. They drew with Croatia and Austria 1-1. And they lost 1-0 at home to Croatia. They are out of the Nations League. And look, take this back to the Euros. They were beaten by the Swiss. You have to wonder whether this unbelievable crop of players are actually going to be able to deliver in Qatar on the back of what they've been doing recently. Look, they, they won the last World Cup. They won the last Nations League. They should be favourites to go on and win the World Cup. Don't think they can be. Not based on what we've been seeing. They've been a mess. They've been sliced open. like. I watched two of those games in almost full um, and watched highlights of the other two. And look, they, have, they seem to have control of a game and then, and then they, I don't know if they switch off, if they're just too easy to carve apart, but something happens to this France team and it's worrying. And Deschamps has to come up with some answers between now and the World Cup. And he's only got two games to play before they get to Qatar. It's all looking a bit melanish for Didier Deschamps. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it's been quite uncomfortable watching France. Um, mm. It just looks like, you know, I love Antoine Griezmann more than most people. Yeah, I mean, he could have been the melon, to be fair, but yeah, you know, I've such a bad is a bit <laughs> I, I have no idea what's happened to Grizzly. It just looks like he's suddenly forgotten how to play football. Like, Benzema and Griezmann couldn't compete a pass to each other. Mm. It's like nothing I've really ever seen. Um, yeah. But yeah, one of those. You know, one I've had those. doubts about Griezmann my whole life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am legend, was it? Is that what it was called? Your whole life? 
your whole yeah, life. Since yeah. I was born, my mum said, any worries? I said, Griezmann's form, mum. <laughs> An image to be made at some point. Dean being born with a speech bubble. <laughs> Worried about Griezmann's form, mummy. Um, okay, all right. Bet you missed that. Oh yeah, I tried it last week. Did you hear that? I did hear it. Um, it was, a, <laughs> I would I would call it a, a painfully pathetic attempt. A meow. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah, a it was meow. a cat purring. It was the la- It was the lack of uh, commitment, really, that hurt me. I think. <laughs> 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 you sound like a phone ringing. <laughs> uh, right, who's on gibberish? Yeah, it's me, and I'm going to talk about my local pub this week. It is oh, a it. very interesting, very strange place with some very interesting clientele. And I'm actually going to rank the three most interesting slash weird people who regularly come in and have a drink. At number three, it's actually one of the barmaids um, for... To protect her identity, we'll call her B. Um, And the first time I ever went to this pub, there was a group of motorcyclists outside. You know, like proper, like, uh, like, what were they, Harley Davids? Harley Davids? Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, it was proper, proper (laughs) that sort of stuff. It was a a group of like about, about, about 10 of them all out there with their incredible looking uh, Hell's Angels types. Yeah. And and, and what they were doing was they were incrementally starting and then turning off their motorbikes and showing them to each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing I saw the barmaid do was run outside and inhale the fumes off the exhaust of one of the motorbikes and then run back in and go, oh, I love it. I love it. Like that. And that set the tone for an interesting, well, it's been a year and a half or so of being served drinks by this... um, slightly crazy woman who every time a motorbike starts up runs outside and inhales the fumes i don't think that's good for you but it's definitely not no it's not not, it's a cheap it's a cheap way of vaping very cheap Uh, very dangerous as well uh i don't yeah i i think vapes are better for you than that yeah yeah, just about (laughs) if the choice is vaping or inhaling motorbike fumes i would suggest every child (laughs) picks up a vape yes pick up a vape today use code ranks 20 no uh okay right number two number two the man who brings his cat in on the leash they're, One of my friends does this. She walks her cat with a leash, so I'm not even going to knock this too much. He brings <laughs> he brings the cat into the pub. The, it sits on a bar stool, and he just like has a has a quick pint or two, reads the newspaper. The cat just sits there, perfectly behaved, and then they just leave. I've seen him two or three times. I'm sort of jealous. Like my cat would never do that. It would go mental. But mm. this guy is more than happy to bring a cat on a leash into a into a quite a rough looking pub in southeast london and just have it sit there for a while while he has a couple of pints oh wow so are these two things ever happened at the same time like she's outside <laughs> taking in exhaust fumes and a bloke walking past with a cat on a leash Is that ever, i've ever never seen, seen this yet? happen simultaneously no <laughs> uh never at all and at number one this is not one person it's a group this pub is home to an over 65 women's darts league Quality. I love that. Every Monday, a bunch of women, come, like, and I'm talking like 20 of them, right? Twen- about 20 or so, over 65 women walk into the pub. They've got homemade food. They've often, at one p- different points, they've had birthday cakes for each other because they're celebrating birthdays. And they have 
a basically a darts tournament. And they're actually not that bad, you know. They're definitely better than me. Although Jack, you've played with well, me. They've been playing for fifty years. They should be good if they've been playing since they were kids. They'd yeah, be great. true. Not that bad. And one of them's really sharp on the on the mental arithmetic as well, doing the maths. Really, really good. Mm. But the, the the funny thing is, is that dartboard is actually obstructed in this pub um, by a series of really heavy um, sets of sets of like chairs and stools. And every time they walk in, I ha- I have to move all the furniture out of the way so they can play. <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> I'm always there after football and I'm always there to move the furniture so they can't actually play unless somebody moves the furniture for them because the dartboard <laughs> is completely obstructed by stuff and um, they do just stand there until somebody does it I just think the pub should probably cater for them and just move I mean, the they chairs should, yeah. but they always end up moving back but uh, yeah not half bad these these ladies I'm really impressed Nice. That's fantastic. So yeah. you you basically turned into a furniture removal man uh-huh. yeah. um, post-football. Yeah. It's all good for the arms, Sam. In the off-season. In, in the, the off-season, yeah. yeah. No yeah. football to watch. Anyway, the real number one weirdest bloke that is in this pub is, is this bloke that walks in and keeps ranking stuff. Three to one, three to one, <laughs> five to one. He just won't stop. I hate him. I'm really, I'm really sad that you got to that before I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh dear. Very, very good. Well done. Um, it does sound like your pub is, is full of characters, Sam, and that's, that's really what I'm after in a pub. So, that's that's i think it's a good thing i think it's a positive i think so yeah bit of a clown car but it's my clown car yeah you know that's what it's about, it's about <laughs> pubs yeah. should always have some you know some people who are, are interesting characters in them it's what it's what gives them life mm. so um i would agree i would agree very very good right well, on that bombshell i think Indeed. we are going to call this one a day uh, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to sam ty uh, wonderful main ranking mate cheers mate thank you very much to dean jones is this the last episode we've got with you? It is, mate. Yeah, it's my last ever episode of Ranked <laughs> FC. Um, so it's been really good. No, um, yeah, I'm away for I don't know even how long I'm going on holiday for. Three weeks, I think. So I don't know if that's three episodes or not. Um, just bring the microphone. Well, be. Um, I am going to take my mic with me, so I'll, I'll see um, how things pan out. Um, at the very least, I might do some Patreon stuff. Um, yeah, we're going to keep updates coming over there so um i presume you two planned to to keep the the spotlights going over over the summer anyway uh, thanks to everyone who's joined us over on patreon come and join us if you fancy it um Loads Two extra episodes a week, um, a post box on a Monday where we answer all of your questions and a spotlight on a Friday where at the moment we're just talking about some of the transfers we really like. So it's uh, it's been quite yeah. a lot of fun. Um, there's obviously also yeah, the maybe Women's I'll Euros stick some holiday photos on there as well as a little bonus. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of me, lots me of in California things. on the beach. Yeah, yeah, why not? Well, while we're at admin, um, also you give us a follow on TikTok if that's your platform. We've been making little videos yep. over there yeah, um, regarding transfers. It's been a lot of fun. We're enjoying ourselves on a new platform, um, yeah. and of course on Instagram or on Twitter, just search for Ranks FC. And, and if you want to send any money, us. my PayPal is. <laughs> 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 right before we get too chaotic <laughs> let's call this thank you very much for listening as ever it's so good to be back take it easy gang peace